Welcome to the Extra Podcast. This is episode number 283. Joining me around the table, I'm Greg. Joining me around the table is Paul. Hi. Jeff. Yep. Andy. Woohoo! You actually let me have my pause there. The last few episodes, when I make my dramatic pause at the beginning, you usually, Paul, me? jump in and are like, Yeah, because the pause makes me go, okay, Greg, like, has somebody died? Like, where? No. There's too much dead air. No, no. You're listening to the radio. You're listening to the radio. Jim Rome is a sportscaster. Yeah, and and he's awful. He does a lot of pausing. For a long, long, long time. Yeah, and it's like, did the the broadcast end? Do I need to change the channel? Did my radio die? Listen, I went to the Jim Rome school of There's a difference between pausing and preaching and pausing on radio. You know, most people don't know this, but Greg, his... Like dream job. Oh, they know it already. I think we've talked about it. Have we? You, okay. No, you, Sorry, you can I'm keep talking about my dream job. Hey, what happened with the I'm going dream back job? In the closet. You were gonna be a. You were gonna yeah. be a. Um, uh, yeah, they haven't called me back yet. So I don't think it's gonna happen. So when you say they haven't called you back yet, there are some who are listening and don't have any idea that that what you're talking about. Yes. So you were supposed to be the I was, announcer. I was supposed for, to. Oh, so we're to gonna get, talk about this now? Yeah, we were supposed. I was. I might get a little. Uh, I was potentially gonna get, get a little side. Yeah. Can you guys give me a minute? <laughs> okay. I was going to get a little side job as a in-game announcer for the Giants. Vancouver Giants and they are in Langley now. And they said, yeah, we'll call you and you can come in. And, <laughs> how, no, now, how did they say that, Craig, when they no, I mean, when they, they said it? Oh, no, no, we'll, we'll call you. I mean, don't call us. You, we'll call you. <laughs> ever. I was like, Maybe. hey, you should listen to the extra podcast. I'm on there lots. And they're like, okay, we'll give it a listen. And then they're like, yeah, okay, we'll call you. <laughs> Never. So, I don't think it's, here's what I vow to you all, is that if I ever get a chance to do that, I mm-hmm. will talk about it with pride on the Extra Podcast. Yeah, I'm sure you will. I want you to talk about the Extra Podcast in the stadium. Ooh. You were going to be an announcer, though. That was your thing. Welcome to the Extra Podcast, Giants fans. It's episode number 294. Ooh, see? Prediction. Maybe. 11 weeks from now. Yeah, you might be doing it. Well, Good. Uh, What's so, coming out this uh, this weekend in the movie theater, Greg? Coming out this weekend is Rogue One. Isn't that like a <laughs> star fighting movie? That uh, I actually I heard it has a cameo with uh, <clears throat> Captain Kirk in it, Luke Picard. Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> so nice. I made this comment earlier a few a few episodes ago. I don't know, like ten episodes ago or so. I made a joke offhand saying that I thought Star Wars was the worst Disney movie ever made. And I had people angry, angry. with me mm-hmm. after making that comment. Like at your house angry. Yeah. Which totally. I agreed like in with fr- that in comment. Front of, in front of your house in their, in their Ewok uniform. <laughs> right? Standing in my tiny with driveway. Their, with their little slingshots Pointing ready to get l- you. <laughs> totally. We, we took down the Empire. I, we'll take down you. <laughs> it's funny because I got text messages as well. Did you? And emails, yes. So I'm convinced yes, that our ratio of like extra podcast fans and Star Fights fans are one to one. Star Yes, star fights. the star fights. I actually heard, though, that the movie got great reviews, but I can't trust those because the last one got great reviews, too. Ooh, you didn't like you the didn't last like one? The, that's what I said. Oh, the last one was a good movie. Come on. So Steve Waynes has a theory that they're all just the same plot as the first three episodes. Oh, yeah. Well, the last one it was. Works. The last one was basically a big uh, big budget movie draw, meant to draw back the original fans who were mad about the about Jar Jar about the prequels. Jar Jar, some, what's his yeah. name? Yeah, Jar Jar Binks. Binks. Jar Jar Binks, who I think is probably one of the one of the great 
characters in uh, cinematic history, don't you think? <laughs> See, now I'm not being facetious. You guys get all mad about yeah. why that. do people hate Jar Jar Binks so much? See, I didn't find him like he was. He was less annoying than some of the other ones I've seen on. Yeah, Star the millennials Fights. seem to be okay with him. Is it but the Gen Xers? It seems like my it age. Seems, who, yeah, Jar Jar had too much character. Like oh, huh? Whatever. Star Wars characters need he to could be bland. Breathe underwater. That's cool. <laughs> they need He's to be Gungan. bland. They have to be bland. So, so all is this supposed to be can... a really good movie? This Rogue One. I don't know. Apparently, that's it, what I heard. It's supposed to take place at the same time as the first Star Wars films. Isn't that right? I mean, in terms of like the in, in when the, you say in the first, cosmic calendar. Do you mean like original? Yes, I mean the original seventies. Okay. 80s films. Yeah. yeah. That this happens during the building of the during the building of the, of the first, uh, of the Death, first Star. Death Star, which yeah. is apparently much smaller than the second Death Star. Right. Which is what they built in the most recent one. Do you guys remember watching well, that? No, movie? they built the second Death Star in oh, Return right. of the Jedi. That's right. This Fully last one was Death Star. Yes. Do you remember in Spaceballs? <clears throat> At the beginning with the Death Star that goes on and on forever. Yeah. That's the best movie. No, it's really not. <laughs> really, it's, it's great. the best movie. Okay. Um, okay, so but this John is Rogue Candy. One. Rogue One is kind of a side story um, that's taking place at the same. So are we ever going to catch up with what happened at the end of the last film? Or are they just kind of playing with everybody at this point? We're going to tell like 15 no. stories so that you don't have any idea what's happening and then we'll weave it all together, lost style, in the end. J.J. Abrams style. Everyone will enter through some door. I'm and telling you'll be you right like, now, if there's a smoke monster that comes at one of these episodes of Star Fights, I'm not going to be very happy. That's J.J. Abrams' go-to move. It is. Abrams is done know. now, though, by the way. I don't he's know out. what to do. Smoke monster. Yeah. He had one movie. That was what? it. Who's he's doing th- it now? He's done. I don't know. Forrest Whitaker. Forrest. Oh, he's in this one. Is he? Yeah, he is. Oh, he is. I don't think he's the director, though. So it's supposed to be a good film. No, what else was? A I good mean, it's going to make a hundred trillion dollars. But is it? It's a. Oh, it's a good movie. It's been getting another another film be that's been getting a lot of love is uh, Hacksaw Ridge. Yeah, yeah. I went and saw Mona. Is that what it's called? I think it's <laughs> Moana. <we> Moana. <laughs> I went. I went. I went and saw that with my kids. If you have, if you have a South Pacific uh, heritage, we apologize. Please. Wasn't Mona in like Mary Tyler Moore or something like that? I think. Oh, that okay, was. Now who's the boss? Who's the boss? Who's the boss? Tony Danza's mother-in-law. In the South Pacific, in the South Pacific, <laughs> the languages that are spoken in the South Pacific, usually you have to put a stress on every vowel. Whereas in oh, English, Moana. where Moana. in English, we, we, we have like so O-A makes the O sound. But uh, there it's Moana, right? Oh, Moana. Yeah, it's like Ha'eri Mai. It's a brutal movie. In... in was oh, it brutal? I just threw that off. That was a Maori. You didn't like that? You didn't, didn't like Moana. I didn't enjoy it at all. I think it's it was, kind of, was it is it, it, was it now your new boring. favorite or your new least favorite Disney movie? Quite possibly. Yeah. It was incredibly boring. It's gotten huge mm. reviews. I know. That's what amazes me. I'm like, what on earth? I think it's sort of Did they see the same movie I saw? It's pantheistic, right though? Isn't it? Right? I you know, like I Avatar? think the worldview that they yeah. were going for was just boring. Yeah. So wow, and they nailed it. <laughs> <laughs> Spoken by a resident philosopher going for a PhD. Yeah. A, but you have a you, you have two. New, do you have, did you take your kids, your boys, to it? I did, I, and they they seem to mildly enjoy it. There's just not a lot of character in it. Right. Uh, yeah, 
Yeah, I watched the not secret, a lot of story there. I watched The Secret Life of Pets the other day. Now they love yeah. that movie. That's a good movie. That was good. Really? Yeah, it's good. It's good. Danny Carvey's like that, in that, that in nasty that movie. rabbit. Which makes me laugh. Do you and know what's Kevin in- Hart is the, is the <laughs> bunny rabbit? Big. It's pretty good. Do you know when we funny. were driving yeah. home though, my boys asked me a great question just out of nowhere. Uh, they said, "Dad, what do you think the message of that movie was?" Of Moana? Yeah. And I was just like, you're eight years old, like nine. I can't believe you're asking that question. But I thought we had a, just just a shout out to all you parents. We had a wonderful conversation with our kids driving home, uh, talking through different movies that we've watched recently, asking that very question. It was fantastic. I don't know. Do you do, do you guys do that? Do you I ever do. Debrief mm-hmm. movies with your kids like that? I do. Yeah. Oh, I man, ask them that question every time after we're done with a film. Um, have you seen Hacker Saxaw Rich? I did. Greg, I did not see it. I have been told it's a it's an excellent film. It is uh I'm not a big like war movie, bloody movie kind of guy, so there were some parts of that movie that I was a little bit off squeamish. by. The a hack, little squeamish. The hacksaw part. It was that's the location. Oh, okay. I told my mother, I'm going to Hacksaw Ridge, <laughs> and she said, That sounds like a horrible movie because I think she thought it was a horror movie. Yeah, she thought it was like, like Saw. Yeah. Or something. But it's not. It's about the war. And mm-hmm. it was actually really good. And for those of you who are, uh, you know, think of yourself in the Anabaptist tradition, thinking through pacifism and conscientious Absolutely. observers and all that kind of stuff, uh, it's a great, great film to, to, to talk through and talk about war and what it means to be a Christian in the midst of war and all that kind of stuff. So hmm. good stuff. But not your like, bring your kids. Christmas movies are a lot of fun. It's usually the films around Christmas are the mm. are the Academy Awards uh, contenders. They they time them for this time and uh, and they're going for it. So I'm a fan. Although I am a fan, uh, it seems like every year in the last like seven years, there's either has been a Lord of the Rings Hobbit <clears throat> movie coming out, and, and now the Star Wars stuff. Yeah, Star Wars last year, right? Was the yeah, and I'm yeah, I, I dig I dig the Star Wars. You know, because there are aliens in it, and aliens get shot in it, and that's the best kind of shooting, is alien shooting. shooting. Yeah, oh yeah. Have you guys seen that YouTube video of a police officer trying to teach a Stark, like, oh man. What are the name of those white guys in the Star Wars? Stormtrooper. Stormtrooper. He's trying to teach a Stormtrooper how to shoot properly. (laughs) You guys seen this <laughs> yeah. video? No, but that's pretty good because they don't good. hit. They don't hit much when they shoot it. That's the whole point. It's hilarious. Check that one out on YouTube. All yeah. right, there you go. Uh, we have a few questions here. We actually have like ten pages of questions. If you have a question you want us to answer, you can email it to extra at northu.org and then wait a long time. Yeah. And maybe we'll answer. Because we'll we have we to talk probably about do like a rapid fire episode. Because we have something. to talk about movies and yeah. Uh, yeah. wildfire and stuff like that. Wildfire, good stuff. Um, here's the first question. You guys ready? Yeah. How do we honor people of other faith traditions without affirming their theological beliefs? How do we, as a community of believers, show that we want to be inclusive and kind to other people of other religions at, at city-level stuff, and yet not necessarily say that our, our desire for relationship and inclusion necessarily means acceptance and affirmation of their beliefs how, how do we walk that line of engaging with people of other faith traditions what makes it hard these days is that we we live in a multicultural society and a society that embraces multiculturalism as a value by that i mean the, the belief that there is no one right 
uh, viewpoint on these matters. And to claim to claim one being right is actually a, is actually hateful and judgmental. And so, as Christians, you're being thrust into that into that setting. And so, it makes it hard for you to say, "Well, actually, we do think one of them's right," and yet we don't. You don't want to be heard as as being somebody who is hateful or judgmental of other religions, even though that is, in essence, what you're doing. Do what's interesting about that is right now, this year, uh, the word of the year was post-truth, and they'll talk about post-truth politics, and I was reading how Dan By Rather... By the way, who, who votes on that? Is, uh, there a, a, is there a word of the year group? You know, like Times Man of the Year? Actually, it's actually there Dictionary. Is. There is. No, there, there's actually a group of them. Uh, I watched a course on them. I, I heard... Word of the year. Yeah, there, there's a group of them Do they take, like, vote. nominations? Because I would nominate something other than post-truth. <laughs> so at any rate, uh, and Dan Rather was writing this scathing thing about you know post-truth and how Dan ridiculous. Rather, the 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 old CBS News guy. Correct. Wow. And he, he's still alive. Apparently, he. Wow. Post. Or post truth. No wonder he didn't like post-truth. <laughs> he's old. He's old. Really old guy. He's I mean, post he everything. Like eighties now. Hey Jeff, uh, could I continue? Sorry. But I still, I'm listen. I just want you to know that your point is being made under, uh, I, I, I'm, I'm pr- under protest for me, because I don't think post truth should be the word of the year. Okay, right? That's duly noted. Yeah, thank you. He's 85. <laughs> wow, and he has a Facebook account that's still active, so clearly he's alive. Uh, what I think is interesting about this, though, is is getting to what you're saying, Jeff, is that we live in a culture of post truth religion. It's interesting to me that we've got a problem with post-truth politics, but we've got a culture that's embraced post-truth religion for since the Enlightenment, and really has... What do you mean by that? What I mean by that What's is... What's post-truth religion? Is what you were talking about, is relativism. It's this idea that everybody's got a stake on the truth, and people will say often, you know, oh, what's true for me, what's true for you is, you know, true for you, and what's true but for hasn't me is true that, for me. hasn't that pervaded all of parts of our society, not just religion? Well, now it is. That's what I'm saying with post-truth politics. Like, mm. we're surprised, you know, that it's creeping into all aspects of society. I mean, this has been going on in religion for a long time. Yeah. As a complete aside, <clears throat> but not really, it's kind of a cul-de-sac of thought for a second. So I'll come back to the main road. Appreciate I was that. sitting in the uh, in a. Here. <clears throat> well, hold on. It when I, when I was in uh, I was actually at a, in Linden yesterday at a at a uh, Avenue Bread, which is a new a newer deli down there. Mm. What's funny about it is that they, they the building that Avenue Bread is in in Linden, which is on right on the main street of Linden, is actually only about three years old. The building itself it burned down and they rebuilt the building. But if you walk into Avenue Bread, when you look around, the decor of Avenue Bread looks like it's I don't know, it's got that kind of old wood that you don't want to run your hands along because you might get thousand splinters. No, oh, yeah. And uh, rustic. Yeah, very very rustic and mismatched chairs. the The whole place has been done up, even though it's like the the building, mm. the business. I think is only like it's less than a year old. Mm. It's been done up to look like it's this really old, been there forever, really, you know, and even on the sign, they say the since, I think it's since 1995. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> That's how, that Avenue Bread since 1995, which made me giggle a little bit. And I was like, well, it doesn't seem that long ago, but I guess it is. Here, I was talking to my wife and I asked her, like, isn't this weird that this, this, this new building that they built is built to, to look really old? And I, that, that really is a trend in architecture right now. Hmm. And architecture, as any other art, really does reflect the values of the society. And I, we had this long conversation with each other, and I, I came up with the, 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 didn't come up with a theory, I've heard it before, 
But I think that part of the reason that rustic, uh, staid, traditional, uh, old architecture is really in vogue now is because uh, because of this relativism. Most people don't like fe- being untethered from truth. They don't like feeling like they're kind of lost at sea. They, they, they want something to hold on to. And so as a result, uh, I think our architecture betrays that sense in their hearts that when we go into a coffee shop, we want to, we want to believe that there's something older mm. than we are, something that's lasted, mm. you know, even since 1995, right? Yeah. The main street of Linden, for example, is real. It's not main street Disneyland. It's, it's a real town with real cuteness and real old, even though in this case, it's not actually real, real old. We want to feel that tradition, that, that, kind of thing. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Did you guys read that article from McLean's that demonstrated research that's happening in Canada that churches that are growing are the ones that in fact are not embracing relativism? Right. Yeah. And that's the interesting part to me is I think that what's, I mean, theologically I look at that and I think, well, what's going on in the human heart is you, I mean, you can, you can tell yourself all the stories you want, but humans are humans and we, we, we yearn for something that's more, that's more, has more anchor to it. And so in the end, we betray that, I think, with our art and, and architecture and, mm-hmm. and things like that. Um, but yeah, we we live in this, you're using language, post-truth, in this relativistic, multicultural society. And there's some real benefits to that. And there are some also uh, challenges with it. As Christians, the question that's being asked here is a, is a really good one. Uh, how, how do you live in that kind of relativistic culture mm-hmm. uh, with and know that if you start talking about exclusive truth claims <clears throat> like uh, Jesus made all the time by the way yep how do you how do you say those things in a way that's not going to just immediately get you shut down as a hater as somebody who thinks they're arrogant and and we can get into the debate by the way that everybody everybody has a truth claim even if they are, their truth claim is relativism truth it's a, is exclusive yeah that and so you can debate that but Nobody wants to get into that kind of dialogue, that philosophical dialogue on the face of it. So how, what kind of posture ought we have to other world religions? So it's an excellent question. I'll jump in here with one thought for you. This is something that I've learned over the years and I think is valuable. And I think more Christians need to get in the habit of doing. And that is becoming good listeners. Uh, one of the things that I like to do is when I'm interacting with people of another faith is become a student of that person. It's easy to try to become students of, of other religions. Mm. Uh, and I don't know that that really respects the, the, what the question's getting at here. You know, how do you respect people of other faiths? And I think how you respect them is being willing to hear them, being willing to, to hear what they believe. I think a lot of times, we're, if you're insecure in your faith, you don't want to hear what other people have to say, and you just immediately shut them down. And there's not a lot of dialogue that's going to take place there. Yeah, you're looking you're looking for opportunities to debate the the doctrine with them, mm-hmm. <clears throat> which is not a horrible necessarily a horrible thing. I I want to point to a place like Acts 14, for example, or Acts 17. Acts 17 is where Paul is on Mars Hill. Acts 14, he's in Lystra. A lot of, a lot of people remember this story, Paul. And Barnabas go into this town in Acts 14, and uh, they heal a guy. And all of a sudden, everyone thinks that they are the the embodiment of Zeus and Hermes. And so they the 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 local you know priest to Zeus brings out an animal, a big bull, and they put a put a garland around his neck, and they're going to sacrifice the bull in front of Paul in honor of him. And uh, 
<clears throat> Paul responds, Paul and Barnabas respond by freaking out, basically, and tearing their clothes and saying, this is just absolutely wrong. And so they give this kind of very short, at least the way that Luke records it, it's a very short uh, sermon here in, in Acts 14, 15. He says, men, why are you doing these things? We also are men of like nature with you, and we bring you good news that you should turn from these vain things to a living God who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that it's in them. So I, I want to make the p- point this out at this point in this story that um, Paul is not afraid to, to t- call their religious tradition vain and to point out that the God that they serve is a living one. He calls him a living God because they are serving idols and those idols are dead. So, so he, he makes a contrast with the religious tradition they are, they have, but at the same time, uh, verse six, or he says, uh, we, we have, we are men like nature through you. We bring you good news. You should turn from these vain things to a living God who made the heaven and earth and the sea and all that's in them in past generations. He allowed all the nations to walk their own ways. Yet he didn't leave himself without witness for he did good by giving you rains from heaven and fruitful seasons, satisfying your hearts with food and gladness. So What's interesting is that they had what they it's the it's the food and the seasoning it's the rain from heaven and stuff that they had taken as as a sign that they were going to serve these Roman deities, and Paul's basically making the argument: Look, no, the things the things that you point to and say, well, Zeus is responsible for that, or Hermes is responsible for that. Those are things that actually God is responsible for, and so in a sense, he's affirming their spiritual response this is what he does later in Acts 17 when he says to the to the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers on Mars Hill I can see that you guys are really religious because outside the city I saw a temple to an or I saw a statue to an unknown god so there is this mixture of like look I see you have this religious tradition let me affirm all the things that I think are really good about it right so in case of Buddhism for example there is there the noble eightfold path is a very moral uh, approach to life. That's something to be affirmed. The five pillars of Islam are have, have a moral quality to them. And yet, we affirm those, but we also contrast the real story of Jesus with them and, and try to show that, but the morality, so another, another, for for a Muslim to make it into a, the highest heaven, he has to he has to perform his his ritual duties at, to a particular degree. So they, in other words, you have a law that you have to keep, and you're unable to. But that's the that's the story of Christianity. Is you're mm-hmm. unable to keep that law. I don't care what law you have, you can't keep it. So what are you going to do? There's no hope for you, unless somebody comes and keeps the moral law for you. And that's the story of Christianity. So you see how Christianity that Jesus actually fulfills the very thing that their hearts are crying for in their religious traditions. It's the ability to do both those things. On the one hand, to contextualize and and speak affirmingly about the things that are affirmative in that religious tradition, but also to speak in critical, contrasting ways about how Jesus actually is the fulfillment of all those things. It takes a lot of years of study to do that, by the way. So the more you study, the more you learn, the more you're able, I think, to do it. I think one of the keys to being able to do that is that Paul was secure in the gospel. That was a solid foundation from him in which he was willing to be able to interact with other people, not compromising that gospel. Paul says this in Galatians chapter 1, he's in verse, starting in verse 6. He says, I'm not, he says, I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. 
Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion and are trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. And, and then he goes on to say, listen, if, if I or an angel or someone teaches you a gospel other than what you've heard, do, you know, do not embrace it. You have the good news. And that's the key to me is, is embracing with other religions starts with you being secure in that you understand the gospel and that you're solid in the truth. You're not afraid to be able to listen to other people, but at the same time, you're not afraid, as Paul, to be able to speak truth into those situations and do so in a winsome and graceful manner. Yeah, and Andy, I think your point about starting those conversations with people in your lives of other of other religions where they're at is a way better starting place than saying, hey, I have a Sikh neighbor. I'm going to go in the library for the next month and study everything I can about Sikhism so that I'm prepared for my conversation. And then you have a conversation with your friend and you realize, oh, actually, they're kind of a syncretist. They don't actually hold everything that Sikhism teaches. They also kind of hold this other stuff of cultural North Americanism of, of just believing that there's a God who wants you to be happy generally. And so uh, we can save a lot of time and use our time better by actually having the conversations and finding out what people actually believe. And then we can say something like, you know what, I don't actually have a really good response to that right now, but if you give me some time, I'd be happy to, to think about it. And then we'll, next time we chat, we'll have another conversation. I think alleviating ourselves from the, the pressure to have an answer for, at Every conversation that we're entering into is mm-hmm. just unrealistic pragmatically. And so it just handcuffs us because we feel like, well, I can't actually have a conversation with my neighbor because what if they ask something I don't know? Well, plus, well you say, I don't know. Let me go think about it. Plus, to me, I don't even know so much if you're we're trying to have these answers as we're trying to have a discussion that people are willing to at least engage with us. Yes, we want to have answers, but I think a lot of people won't even have a discussion, though, with people. Yeah. Because they think that they've got to have all the answers, or they can't even talk with their neighbor. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we're and like remember, we're called to we're called to love God and love others, right? Like this is this is the first, the greatest commandment to love the Lord your God with your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. So when you're meeting your neighbor who doesn't have the same belief system as you, or maybe maybe you're even meeting your neighbor who is a, a new Syrian refugee. I've seen I've seen a lot more. Uh, people wearing Muslim-style clothes in Abbotsford these days. So I'm guessing that is some of the Syrian refugees or refugees from other countries coming here and, and living here. So if you're finding yourself coming into contact with them, like befriend them, invite them over, and, and get to know some of their customs so you know how to treat them when they come to your house. So if they come over, make sure your dog's not inside. Like your dog is uh, a dog is makes a place unclean to them. So make sure your dog's in the garage or the backyard or something like that. Don't serve them pork. Yeah, these are all context, you know? just contextualizing. Yeah, it's contextualizing. Uh, you learn a little bit more and to try exactly. to welcome and be hospitable to people. Exactly. Because there are so many areas that we don't actually care about. Honestly, I mean, you might, people listening might be like, I am not going to go a meal without bacon. But <laughs> you should. For the sake of your neighbor who you want to speak yeah. to the gospel, yeah, exactly. you, you should. And the, tr- the truth is there are ways, even in a conversation, to, Andy's made a good point, to make it a dialogue. Uh, and, and to totally. make it, it, dialogues are by definition two-way. Monologues are when you and I talk in, in a preaching mm-hmm. fashion, but di- dialogues are a two-way thing. And the truth is most of us don't know enough about the religious traditions around us. 
And I actually think that most of the people in our community who hold to those religious traditions would be happy to tell you mm. what those what their viewpoints on matters are. If you just mm-hmm. made yourself a learner, and to be honest with you, I've, I've come. Yeah. I, I, I don't admittedly don't practice this anywhere near enough, but I think people are very willing, just like most Christians are, very willing to hear hear the question. So, like you have this religious background, it seems to me you're Sikh, you're Muslim, you're Buddhist. Can you just tell me about, like, I'm just interested to learn about what your viewpoints on, on life and how did you get into this and what are, how do you view things now and let the conversation go. I think people will find that that's a really robust and encouraging. Everybody likes to talk about what they believe. So, And after a little while, they're going to ask you this question. And what do you think? Yep. And what do you, and what do you think? And what do you believe? Right, mm-hmm. and, and it gives you an opportunity now to share what you believe. Yeah. And because you've listened to begin with, they're going to pro- they will return the favor. I'm sure. And I also would add this too. Um, we're talking about genuine interest here. This isn't interest just because we have an agenda. It's it's an interest because as um, what Paul said, we love people and we care about people and we're genuinely interested in what's going on in people's lives and we want to. Uh, we want to hear, we want to learn, and and in those dialogues, in those opportunities we have to share Christ, the, we want to take those opportunities. Mm-hmm. All right, guys, here's another question for us. Uh, the Christmas Eve is nearing, is nigh, as wow. some That's nice. may say. Uh, and it's a, it's a time that where— That should be the word of the year. Nigh. Maybe of 1852 or something. Come on. <laughs> like I said, everything's come, all the old stuff's coming back. Coming you want back, old stuff? Nine. Just like Wood. How about Fortnite? I like Fortnite better, too. It's way, every two weeks. No, Fortnightly. Fortnightly. You should title, title a sermon, Nye. Nye. Your Christmas sermon. Title Nye. Silent Nye. N-I-G-H. Okay, away you go, Greg. Uh, so lots of people are going to come to church on Christmas Eve. Yep. And people who don't grow up. Or, do, or don't regularly attend churches, will go with their families and to our church and other churches, and it's a time for people to flock into church buildings. So how do we engage with people who who normally in our lives, they're the Christmas Eve goers, but they don't go to church the rest of the year, or they don't see the need for the local church? How do you engage with those people that you're going to be seeing at the Christmas table, you're going to be going to the, to the, the church with you're going to see them at the family gathering. You're going to talk about, you know, what you did this week and or this year, and what, what do you spend your time with? Make make a case for the validity and the importance of the local church for the believer. I hear you asking the question uh, in in simple terms. Here's a bunch of people who go on go to church maybe once or twice a year. Don't really see the need. Maybe profess faith in Jesus. Uh, don't really see the need for the local church, at least consistent uh, attendance to it. Yep. What, what, what do we, what, what do we say to them? Yep. All, all of, to those folks. Right. Yeah. First of all, I, when I was first gotten to ministry, I used to think that Christmas Eve was a great opportunity to totally just have a go at the, <laughs> at the, the couple times attenders. Right. And uh, I, again, I, I think that there's an appropriate thing to do there. It really is. I, I don't think the right – I think that that can be appropriate thing to do if you do it uh, winsomely. There's a way to winsomely – not chide, but kind of, you know, not even poke fun, but draw people out mm-hmm. from that and saying, yeah, you know, I, it's great to have you here, you know, but 
you need to understand that Jesus is actually a, 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 the sovereign king. That's actually what this whole thing means, mm-hmm. <laughs> is that he, if Jesus is who he said he was, and then Christmas is the most amazing thing to ever happen in the history of the world, followed I mean, I'm, I'm of the opinion the Incarnation is the, the greater miracle mm. between that and the crucifixion and, and resurrection. But mm. I'm not saying that I'm putting one down. I'm just saying it's all part of the grander story. Anyway, my point here is that, you know, Jesus is the reigning king, then you, you owe him homage. So it's, it's fun to sometimes say that to people who are treating him like he's, he's just sort of inconsequential. But... I do think it's. I do think in the modern world, it's really helpful for us to to recognize and welcome people who have come to church. I mean, they have come out of their way on this particular occasion uh, to come out to church, and I think it's valuable, like people, yeah, to to be hospitable to them. And so I've I've turned away from that to being more kind of you know welcoming and trying to re- just reiterate the message of salvation and Christmas in in that regard. Um, that's this. That's different than the question you're asking, though. The question you're asking is well. Give me an argument for the local church. Yeah, like I'm sitting next to this person in church. We're going to go out for dinner afterwards, and they're going to be talking like they do every year about how much they love the Christmas Eve service and how much it reminds them of, of you know, it's really important. And yet their track record over the past 10 years has been that they show up at Christmas Eve and then the rest of the year they're MIA from any kind of Why Christian don't people go to church? If you're a professing Christian, what are the reasons why it is that you don't go to church? It's interesting. That's what I was going to bring up. I find that most people have no idea why you should even go to church. I think that's why they come out for church on Christmas, right? Is because that's what you do. That's traditionally what you do. That's how they see church as something you know meaningful that you do you know once a year. I think a lot of professing Christians, though, feel bad about not going to church. When I say feel bad, they're not bad enough to change their habits, but bad in the sense that, oh, yeah, yeah, we should get to church more often. Mm-hmm. Like if you ask yeah, somebody you who professes faith in Jesus, they're like, yeah, 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 we should be in church more often. It just seems that their 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 commitments are to sports. Uh, their commitments are to uh, are are to like in the winter skiing maybe, or they go away to a holiday home on the weekends or something like that. Uh, maybe their work schedule. I don't think work schedules are this day and age. It's quite the issue. But sports, quite honestly, among among families, I think is. I mean, I'm looking around to you guys. Do you think that that's like the one of the chief Oh, I think that that's one of the chief reasons. I know, uh, I can't say for Abbotsford here, but when I lived in Squamish, there was a lot of Christians who didn't go to church on Sunday because the, um, because the soccer program for their kids, yeah. all the games were on Sundays, and most were Sunday mornings. Yeah. And, and they would, they, so instead of going to church, they would, oh, we got to go, our kids in soccer, so we got to go watch soccer. So these are professing Christian people. They would profess to be Christians, yeah, yeah. But, but they don't think church is important enough to, or they don't think it's important enough to gather as a local body. So, so maybe, okay. So soccer is more important. Well, my follow-up question: if if we're right about that, and I think we're partially right, maybe there are other reasons. There's no single reason why people don't go to church. Some people just think it's stupid and hate it. But usually, they're mm-hmm. they don't like church because they don't like something the the pastor is saying or they have a relational problem with someone there or whatever. And there are other churches around you can go to. So we're not talking about our church in particular. We're talking right. about church generally. You don't go to mm-hmm. church. I yeah. think that it's a, for a professing Christian, the reason they don't go to church is because of a competing interest, usually usually related to, to sports with their kids. So it seems to me that we should be addressing the issue of, uh, of that instead of 
hey, you should be going to church more. Because I could tell them to do that all the time, and they would nod and say, yeah, totally, I agree. It's just that when push comes to shove and my hockey game is on a, on, on 9 a.m. on a Sunday morning, or I have to be at the tournament, I'm there, and I will do whatever it takes to make sure that I am part of the hockey or baseball mm-hmm. or mm-hmm. Uh, basketball or whatever it is. So what do you say to a parent who has kids in sports at a high level? Because it's, it's not the lower level kids that we're talking about here. When I say it, it's not the average players, although it's their parents think they're yeah. amazing. Yeah, yeah. But it's usually not the average. It's the kids who are kind of on the rep teams or on the mm. cusp of a rep team. Mm. And there are so many rep teams and there's so much money to be made in them that they keep offering more and more time. So what do you tell a parent who's got their kids in that kind of situation and the choice for them is either going to church or actually missing the game with their kids. What, what do you what do you give me? What do you tell them? Well, first of all, uh, I would say, not to answer the question quite yet, but I'm going to. Uh, <laughs> uh, first thing I'm going to say though is I'm going to I'm going to disagree at some level and say that I think that this issue is a little more complicated than just competing interests. I would say that fundamental to the problem is a misunderstanding of what church is or the need for church, and then it allows for competing interests to override going to church. Mm. And what I, where I've seen this effect, and I think this is where the question needs to go to address this issue, is a lot of people think that Christianity is about having a personal relationship with Jesus. Mm-hmm. And if it's just about having a personal relationship with Jesus, I can do that at home. I don't need to go to church. Yeah. And so because church isn't a priority, it means that, you know, Billy and his you know, hockey, that is a priority to me. And I want to make sure he gets scholarships or whatever mm-hmm. reason, you know, parents got. Yeah. And that's I'm not missing any, the issue. I'm not missing anything by not being there is yeah, what you're saying. Yeah. That's I, right. I, I agree that sure, that's, that's one of the rationalizations that takes place. Yeah. So part I think of, we have to challenge the, that. Yeah. Over the last, I mean, who knows how many years, but when you hear the gospel presented, it's off, it's such an individualistic salvation thing. There's no part of a, it doesn't talk about, you often, when you hear the, the gospel presented, you don't hear much about Christ loving the church. It's about Christ loving you as an individual, mm-hmm. and you can have a relationship with Jesus. And that is, yes, very important to have the forgiveness of our sins and be able to be welcomed You're right. into God's grace. So more, but but there is a there's a communal aspect of of the church of Christ loving the church and dying for the church. So more generally. So I think we can say several things. B- biblically, uh, you don't find any, in, you don't find lone Christians in the Bible. You, you just right. don't. So every time uh, Paul goes and, and, and plants it, every time he goes and reaches people in a particular locale, the first thing they do is they plant a church. Yeah. So the, the understanding is that, that you should be involved in a local church. Uh, there are passages of scripture in uh, Hebrews chapter 10, uh, don't forsake the meeting of yourselves together. It's yeah. the habit of some. So we have, there's a command of scripture to gather in the local assembly. By the way, that is exactly what Paul is talking about in that context, is the gathering of the local body. You have gifts that need to be used in the church, uh, that the church isn't going to function properly, right, if you're not employing those gifts and being involved in in the church. Mm -hmm. We can say all of these things, right? So they're all church-focused. Church needs you. you I'd even go so far as to say that, practically speaking, I don't have a lot of confidence in you persevering in the faith if you don't attend a local church mm-hmm. consistently. And by consistently, I mean more than once a month. I, th- I actually right. think that you're not going to continue in the faith unless you have a steady diet of biblical preaching and faithful uh, friends 
who you gather with, who will keep you accountable in the faith, and that's why you gather together. So uh, there, your, your eternal life is, is at risk if you choose not to. So these are all reasons that I'm going to give a person saying why you should go to the church. But I still haven't engaged the actual existential crisis that they're facing, mm. which is, right, I agree with all those things. Those all sound very, very uh, in, in, you know, compelling. My problem is uh, little Billy is a good hockey player, okay? Or little Susie is a fantastic uh, softball player. So what do I do? What you're telling me to do, what I hear you telling me to do is I, I need to go to the, the local church, which happens every week and every week and every week. I need to go to the local church over my kids having the opportunity to play high-level sports. So, so can my kids play high-level sports and not go to church? Because that's, that's – or and go to church? Can they do both of those? Like what – help me. Help me know how it is I'm supposed to get my to, – to, can I do both of these things? Or am I going to have to choose – because that's going to be especially hard if I have to choose. Mm. Mm. So you tell me, pastors. Well, I mean, I think this conversation looks different depending on the churches in your area. I mean, I think, at, so for example, we're pastors at Northview. We have services on Saturday night, Sunday morning, Sunday night, yep. every weekend, unless it's snowing. And so, Right, and we have people who regularly are part of like a Sunday morning service. And all of a sudden they have to travel for that Sunday because of a baseball tournament or something. So they'll come either Saturday night or often Sunday night. We get a lot of families yep. visiting on Sunday night because they had to miss Sunday morning. Yeah. So this is a good solution. So, so we as a church, because of our size, because of our different options of service times, we can we can offer options for people. We also, uh, there are other churches in our town mm-hmm. that don't have those options, but do commend their people to come to our church in the summertime, for example, for baseball, to come. Sat, I've had pastors say that to me. Hey, some of us, we got some people coming to your church for the summer. So thanks a lot for the ministry you guys do on Saturday nights because it's making it possible for them to right. to be to fellowship and to right. hear the word of God preached and to get to you know like I think this is a this is a good thing. It's not ideal. Right. Ideally, you'd go to your own body of yeah. people, but it's 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 good. So for I think a period. I, in the Northview context, I have a hard time saying that. A family could not do both. Do both. Um, in other contexts, I think it would be harder. And yet, I think. Yeah. So if I if I bring Squamish back into it. Yeah. When Squamish, we were talking about low level. Like we're talking about kids, like elementary elementary age kids. Like right? when you say low level, not not the great most skilled children <laughs> it's, it's at soccer. The, it's, it's the kids of Messi soccer league. not on that field. It's like yeah. the house league. <laughs> right. Yeah. This is the kids soccer league. Yeah. Like there is no, there's nothing special. But if you want your kid to play soccer, if your kid wants to play soccer in this league, which is just like, you know, just like your average community little league baseball team or whatever, uh, all your games are Sunday mornings. Yeah. And in, and in Squamish, all churches... There's only like four evangelical churches. All of them hold their services on Sunday morning. There's no afternoon. There's no Saturday night. There's no Sunday night. So this is a challenge. So Squamish, it is a big challenge because eventually, basically as a pastor, you end up saying, okay, well, listen, you have to make a choice. You have to make a choice. Either church is going to be a priority for you or, or soccer is going to, during soccer season, which 
there's like two seasons. So it goes from like September to May, like majority of the year, you're going to be missing church because you're going to soccer and this isn't healthy for you. And it's not healthy for your, and even think about your kids' spiritual growth. Yeah. Like you, like, you know, maybe yourself, maybe you are so, reading the Bible and you have podcasts and yeah. you even have a, a Bible study you get, go to, whatever. But your kids, what are your right. kids learning? So here's the thing. Uh, and, and this is where you have to become almost prophetic, mm. I think. Yeah. Here's the deal. Uh, if you're in a situation where you are making a choice regularly to, to privilege uh, your sports and you are perceived the perceived success of your child. And I say perceived there because the likelihood of your kid being uh, as great as you think is not there. It's not. I'm just going to tell you right now, all of us look through rose-colored glasses at our children. I do. Mm -hmm. Paul does. We all do. Greg does. I know Andy does. Like, they're all amazing at whatever it is they do. I get it, right? And we think, oh, if they have the right training, they're going to make the major leagues. Well, okay, maybe. Maybe, but I, I'm going to tell you what, even if they make the major leagues, even if they are a NHL player, I think the thing you should want for your kids as a faithful follower of Jesus is that they follow Jesus, okay, with all their hearts. And the, and, and the pattern of life that you are displaying to them in this present moment is not the kind of pattern of life that will lead to that conclusion. Right. If you decide that you're going to forego the Christian church, your children, when they're 20 years old, will forego the Christian church. Mm-hmm. And you're, you're setting them up for a maybe financial success if they are one in the million who can make the NHL, which they're not going to be. But mm-hmm. say they are. What do you have now? Oh, my kid's made the NHL. He's a success. Right. But you're, you're banking on, what, the six years that they're going to play there? And, and right. that makes them whatever, and they got their whole lives ahead of them, and eternity after that? Come on, man. Let's make a decision for the long term here. Yeah. So in the end, I think, I think you need to make a commitment. There, churches like ours try, try our best to accommodate people and give them as many options as they can to go to, go to churches. But the truth is, a lot of times, you, you don't go simply because you, cho- you, you choose not to go. But So don't, don't kid yourself in thinking that you really love Jesus then, because he loves the church, <laughs> and, and, you can, and you can go. So that's, those sound like harsh words and stern words, and they, and they are. But some people who are listening to this really do need to be shaken out of that slumber and, and realize that you are making decisions in this present moment that are leading places for your children that you don't want them to go. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Hmm. All right, guys, thanks for uh, your contributions. I feel like I feel like I should say at the end of that, like I I I have kids who play high level sports, okay, and I have during the summer times been away from church for a week or two, here or there. I will say this that my wife and I make a commitment to even when we're away on those tournaments to find a local body of people to see if we can get not, not mm. every week, but we try to find a local body of people. We ask friends, hey, do you know of a church in the Kamloops area? Do you know of a church in Saskatoon? Do you know of a church in wherever. And we try to make commitments to be in those kind of places. And you'd be surprised that most of your coaches will, will let you do it. Right. And if they don't, and they say, well, you're going to have to sit on the bench, then you know what? You take that for Jesus. Yeah. Right. You, you take that for Jesus. Yeah. Hmm. And look for another team next. Deny time. yourself, <laughs> take up your cross yeah, and follow me. Amen. 
Hey man, sorry, long Jim Rose pause, Jim Rome pause there. No, the it's end. good. I just want to thank you guys for your contributions to the extra podcast. I want to thank you for yours, Greg. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. Uh, if you have questions, send them into the extra podcast at extra at northview.org. Until then, we will see you at the church services this weekend.